Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have Brandon Michael Roommaker, who is an artist based out of New York City. And oh my gosh, was this a special conversation. I'm so excited to invite you into it. In sharing their individual story, Brandon offered so many gems about the greater collective queer experience. They share about their story very much from a trauma-informed stance. And if I could narrow this episode down to a core theme, it is healing, healing, healing. So much talk about healing. They were just so generous with what they shared in their story about their childhood, to their adolescence, to coming out and beyond, to healing from intergenerational trauma, to healing from the toxicity of being socialized within systems of oppression, and then to the power and joy of gaining what we missed out on, to overcoming, to so many things. And so I'm just so excited to invite you into this conversation. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I want to invite you as a listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique and how you might hear some things shared on the show that really differ from your experience, whereas you might hear other things said that absolutely give voice to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really do hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. Welcome to the conversation. Thanks for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm so excited and curious to have you here. Before going anywhere, I like to invite the person on your end to give a little mini introduction, to give a little context to who the person is behind the voice. I'm sure we'll go into your story, but a little snapshot to start us off. Sure. My name is Brandon Michael Rumaker. I am 29 years old. Uh, I use they, them pronouns. I guess in terms of like, what do I do In my daily life, I identify most strongly as an artist, specifically in writing and performance world. But I think the core of what I do is creating space for people to be seen and to see themselves deeper, usually through performance, but also through facilitating workshops um, and through community connection spaces. Ooh, cool. Okay, wait, before going into like your story, yeah. could I hear a little bit more about like, yeah, what this looks like, this work and your work as an artist yeah. and facilitator, yeah. all of that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a number of things. I live in New York City and it's like, if you're not wearing 18 hats in New York City, then you're probably not <laughs> living in New York City. So the most frequent way I engage is through playwriting, screenwriting, improv, really avant-garde spoken word stuff. Uh, And then in terms of facilitating, before the pandemic, I was creating community space that was kind of like potluck-esque, specifically Mm. for artists and creatives to come together, have like a moment of nourishment, both food-wise and also uh, energetically, like a very specific facilitated conversation to start and then breaking off and just like being people at dinner together. Mm. Um, And the last one we did was the week before New York City lockdown. And we had about 40 people in attendance for that wow. one. Um, wow. And now we're considering, like, what does that look like? Because right. throughout the pandemic and virtual, just the vision didn't really work virtually. It was really mm. about having, like, in-person ability to, like, feed each other. And so, yeah, we're trying to figure out how to make that work now with mm. everything going on COVID-wise. Yeah. Um, and so I really, I tend to like, um, when I have a creative idea in terms of like how to connect people, I tend to pursue it to see where it goes. And so mm. I've like designed escape rooms for people. Whoa. I've developed creativity workshops and I'm working with someone on like, I'm working with a psychic medium about developing a workshop. And I'm like, I am no psychic medium, uh. but I don't know. Like we'll bridge, we'll find a bridge between yes. us and we've been finding a bridge between us. It's really about as much as possible, just finding what brings me alignment and joy 
in a way that's of service to other people. That's not mm. just me, like in isolation, uh, mm. having a good old fun time while the rest of the world is struggling. The last thing that I've done recently is I've become a volunteer for a peer counseling service in mm. New York City, Identity mm. House, and I've been a peer counselor there supporting mostly people who are first coming out, but not exclusively in that situation. Just people that are like in a space of like, I think I'm queer and I don't know what to do. So I've been queer for at least a few years. So I can at mm. least say, hey, we're here to talk about it. Mm. Oh my gosh. I just want to be a little mouse on your back going through all of your days. It sounds like you have such an interesting <laughs> life. This is so cool to hear. And on that last piece of In This World as a Peer Counselor, I'm curious, like, what is that like for you to be at this part of your own personal journey now being able to offer support for other folks who are earlier perhaps on their journey? How is that for you? It's interesting because like the whole point of this podcast, right, is how queer identity can like occur at any age in life, right? Mm -hmm. Like our relationship to queerness is different than like the standard cis-hetero definition of adolescence occurring at the age of 14 through 19. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, being in space with people who have maybe twice my life experience, but have less queer experience. And so it's really like humbling for me to, to have something to offer my elders and also people who are younger than me. And it's kind of a, I mean, most of my twenties being queer was just like, it was part of who I am, but it really, it's just being in relationship with people physically or sharing experience of how the greater world at large interacts with our queer identity, yeah. whether for good or for bad. Yeah. But it didn't really necessarily feel like a meaning, like how do I bring that part of me into the world in a way that's like not just about how I navigate the world or in my one-on-one -on -one interpersonal romantic relationships. Like what does it mean to be queer as community and like build community and for a long time, I didn't have queer community. Most mm. of my, and I guess this is kind of like entering my story. Yeah. Um, most of my 20s, um, I'm from like a working class background. I have um, a history of trauma that I'm very open about that will probably come up as we talk. That was, my 20s was very disruptive for the most part. So to like be mm. in space with queer people, I was like, I just got to like pay my bills. I'll, mm. I'll work wherever, whoever, wherever, mm. uh, do what I have to do to survive. And so mm. the idea of having like space where I'm being held and I'm holding other queer people and we're talking about shared experiences, that wasn't necessarily my full experience until very recently um, when I've gotten really intentional about like, for me right now, it's like, if you're not queer, I'm sorry, but I can't prioritize you because that's mm -hmm. like where my healing is, is like yeah. I really need to relate to my people totally. in a way that's powerful. And so the peer counseling side is kind of like the shame I think I'm going through is part of the queer experience. The sense of perfectionism mm. that I have is part of the queer experience. The doubt that I have, am I queer enough? Am I gay enough? Am I gender non-conforming enough? Yeah. Oh, wait, this is part of the queer experience. Mm. Great. We're all in it together. <laughs> so being a peer counselor, almost like it's been like a gift of allowing me to hold myself with more grace of like, oh wait, this is this is part of the process. This is yeah. there's nothing wrong with me. This is part of living in the world we live in. Mm, totally. Oh, just like pause and just ugh. I'm just melting over here, just really just <laughs> nodding my head and just feeling so, so much connection to what you're saying. And so mm. I'm just so pumped you're here. So thank you. This is awesome. Okay. I I'm curious to talk about so many things, but you were starting to allude to your story and kind yes. of this evolution you've traveled through. And you mentioned kind of starting off in kind of a working class kind of place and environment. I'm curious, like, where did you grow up and what was kind of the early part of your story like? So I was born in Westchester County, New York, which is mm -hmm. an hour north of New York City. I'll give you like the plot points. Sure. I'm speaking like a writer. I'll give you the plot points, <laughs> then I'll fill them in. Sure. Um, get the beginning, middle, end, and we'll fill in the space. Right, uh, right. Paint the picture. Mm -hmm. So I grew up, I uh, was born in White Plains, one of the bigger cities of Westchester County. My parents moved to San Diego when I was around two years old which is something that I've been kind of obsessing over in my like trauma work and my figuring mm -hmm. out like how much of this is me, how much of this is intergenerational, is this experience of when I was two, around two to around three, four, my parents divorced. I was with my mom. My mom entered a psychiatric hospital. I was with my dad. 
I was no longer deemed safe to be in the care of my dad's custody. Moved back with my mom when she got out of the hospital. Mm. Was with my grandma for a period, apparently in foster care for a period, then back with my mom, then back to New York where I grew up in Uh, Westchester. So during that pre-verbal period, who knows what happened. And so... Both of my parents identify as disabled. Um, I'm coming to an understanding of having a disabled identity, which is like fresh this week I'm exploring. Mm. So that's like Mm. a messy, every time you access a new layer of identity, it's like, wow, like a whole new rabbit hole. Um, uh, Yeah. So intersectionality of identity is like a great wild thing. Um, Absolutely. And so I've identified for neuro- as neurodivergent for a very long time, uh, but mm. both my parents identify as disabled. And I grew up in conditions that were unique, unusual. And so growing up, I shared a single bedroom with my mom until I went to college. Like we shared mm. the same space, like beds next to each other. Mm-hmm. So like good luck figuring out your queer identity like mm. sexually when like mm. your mom is in the, like right in the room mm. with you all the time. And so I was already guaranteed I wasn't going to have any like sexual awakening experience like most other queer people in high school for different reasons, in addition to the gay identity one. And so when I was in middle school, I started having fantasies about like other boys in the locker room. Just like, I don't even know. Like, I think it was like, this is going to be so transparent. And so like, uh, uh, but I'm going to say it because it's, <laughs> it's important to say is I would have like fantasies of like other boys bullying me mm. in like a way that was like middle school equivalent of a- attraction. Mm. Cause I, I was bullied a lot as a kid and it was like uh-huh. almost like a bullying where I was the one in control. Uh huh. Totally. Which is like, so I don't know. It's, it's an experience. And totally. so, I was like, what is this? Why am I thinking about this all the time? Mm. Like, why am I like kind of like obsessing over this? And like middle school me was very self-aware for middle schooler and was like, hmm, this is probably not normal compared to other people, whatever normal is. Mm. And I had a thought, like I was already like an outcast. I was already one of the weird kids. I was already like had few friends. I was like, if I'm gay too, on top of already being an outcast, it's over for me. Mm. And, like, I had, like, suicide ideation during that period, really heavy, dark time, Mm. most of middle school. Mm. Um, And my way of navigating was this was, like, dial-up internet era, big clunky monitors. I didn't have my first computer until I was probably, like, in seventh grade. And I would sit at my computer on that dial-up internet, taking up the phone jack so mom couldn't make any phone calls, Mm. which she found so annoying. And I would, like, (laughs) research. I would be on forums researching, like, gender spectrum theory, like Mm. reading like about like the most progressive theories possible to try to justify why I wasn't gay. Hmm. I'd be like, oh, gender and sexual identity is a spectrum. That means I can shift and change. I'll eventually be straight someday. Wow. Was the thought I had. Wow. Like it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to accept myself and love myself and like understand myself. It was, oh, this is, there's evidence that like this is like just a phase. Mm. This is something that's not real. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the exception to the rule. I'll be fine. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is the, is the belief I had in middle school. Yeah. Yeah. And so in high school, after about four years of like suffering, like the self loathing, the shame, the self hate, there were two kind of shift moments for me that were like, I have to come out. Um, maybe three. I started, for some reason, making more friends. Don't really know how I did it, but somewhere along the way, people saw something in me and wanted to spend time with me, even though I was like such like a broody little, like, mm, I hate everyone. Mm-hmm. They, some people like that, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's relatable. I guess everyone, everyone was feeling it. Sure. As I was making friends, I was having opportunities to be in relationship in a deeper way that had me think, like, I can't hide this and have friendship. Like, I can't have deep connection and try to, like, dance and compartmentalize and, like, I, I would, like, aggressively check my body. Like, if my hand moved a certain way, it's like, nope, no limp wrist. If I yeah. talked a certain way, nope, mm. I can't have a lisp. Um, I can't mm. move my hips this way. I was so body conscious yes. that it helped me athletically. And, like, mm. it helped me in, like, like performance-wise because I'm so aware of my mm. body. Mm. Um, but at the time, it was, like, con- like, constant energy of being with people but, like, constantly checking myself. Mm. 
And I was like, I can't do this. I can't sustain this. It's not going to work. Like, people are going to catch me. And I would rather me just say it than them catch me outside. Like, I would rather have control over how I navigate this. Mm -hmm. And so I started considering how I would come out. Mm -hmm. And I guess the, the third thing is... This was in 2007, 2008. So that was like during a period where like YouTubers were coming out. Yeah. Uh, Connor Franta, Tyler Oakley, Troy Sivan are the ones that come to mind because mm. I had crushes on them mm. watching them on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they all, there were all of these like, I'm gay, like 20 minute videos of them crying and people in the comments like loving them. And it's like, okay, why not me? Mm-hmm. And someone in middle school, so at this point I was in 11th grade, there was a 7th grader who was the same place I was when I was in 7th grade mm-hmm. who came out as trans. 2008, coming uh, out as trans, which yeah. is like, no one was coming out as trans yeah. in, like, in like high school back then. Like the, mm-hmm. Now it's a bit more normalized, but mm-hmm. they were like the, the first person, they were the first trans person I knew. Wow. And they came out. And they were a huge advocate in the middle school. Like everyone in their grade was like, we don't care. We just want to stop hearing about it. (laughs) was like Hmm. the thinking of everyone else. Hmm. Um, And so I was like, if this this person is doing it, why not me? And so I started coming out um, Hmm. and started with friends, started with peers, did some stuff with my GSA, Gay Street Alliance. Mm-hmm. where we like a group of us like went into classrooms and talked about our experience with other kids which I still have like mixed feelings about to this mm. day of like kind of like being put on like a like a pedestal of sorts and like wow. like hey like, here's our here's our queer people let's ask them about queerness which is like oh yeah what do you remember just, about that part of it when you're in that role in that role I remember I was allowed to be queer enough like there were mm. certain aspects of like I couldn't like get into like dicey complex aspects of queerness of like, Mm. like not all gay and trans and lesbian and bi and pan and poly people agree are Mm. on the same page, like each other. Mm. There's misogyny in the community. There's homophobia, there's transphobia. There's all these Mm. things that we deal with internally to present that to like a bunch of like cis hetero kids. I mean, like it was for Really, it was like the, the point for us as students was there are other kids who don't feel like they can be seen and accepted. And if they see us, maybe they'll mm. feel safer. And then for the rest of the population of the cis hetero population, it was like a, a dicey playground yeah. of like of questions being asked that were inappropriate and the mm. teachers not knowing how to properly facilitate and hold that in a way sure. that had us safe. Uh, but that's, I mean, how the world is in a way. Like you can't always protect a queer kid from bigotry. Yeah. Wow. What's it like right now going back to that memory? In my body, there's like this like warmth, this like fire. I'm like getting excited talking mm. about this with you because it's mm. like, let's unpack it. Let's <laughs> like, let's mm. process it. Let's unpack mm. it. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows how like your listeners are going to take it. And it's like, mm. that's not really in my control, but... Mm. Yeah, just like I don't think I don't think I talk about that specific experience of like being in the GSA space because yeah. it was like a full day. Like we went to every class wow. all day. Wow. To me, it's like there's like this bizarreness to it of like it was both great and both not. Yes. Yes. That's like it's it's hard to like rationalize as like either or. Like sure. it was both great and awful. Yes. Um, it was both incredibly ignorant and incredibly empowering. Mm in the way it was handled. And so mm. I don't think I've really talked about it. So I'm kind of like processing sure, it in totally. real time with you. Totally. So it's like messy and it's like, what yeah. am I saying? Yeah. Uh, but mm. that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's what we got to do. We got to process yeah. the messy stuff. And yeah, that sounds yeah. incredibly messy. And like, yeah, I get on one hand, it's an empowering act to kind of be visible and to kind of share your experience and hopefully inspire others to kind of be able to step more into their truth. And that's a lot to put onto an adolescent. It's also without like the safety of like a contained space where you have like adults who are there to like, not only be supporting like the students who they want to be learning, but really supporting you all who are exposing yourself, like how vulnerable, oh my gosh, that is messy. That is messy. Yeah. Oh, little you. Oof. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And wait, wait, just to back up a little bit too. Please. You mentioned coming out to some friends first and like, what was, mm-hmm. what were those initial conversations like for you to like uh, give voice yeah. to this part of you? God, I was so scared. Um, I can remember that. It was, uh, again, yep. thank you, internet. The internet is mm-hmm. like, like I often have issues with the internet for what it's done to us, like in terms of our ability to like, at least for me, my ability to function, like without having like 97 tabs open and stressing out about like everything that's going on in the world all at once. Right. Um, But it is like the biggest gift for LGBTQI plus folk. Cause like we, like there's like the virtual queer space, which Mm -hmm. is like the first queer space that we've Mm -hmm. like, from my understanding historically of like anyone across the globe, as long as your government isn't watching what you're doing, you have a space to like be. Mm. Um, and so that's a huge gift. And so for me, mm-hmm. my coming out started on AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. Mm-hmm. Like it started with like me being on like chats with friends and like talking for six hours after school and being like, I need to tell this person, I need to tell this person after mm-hmm. like three hours being like, mm-hmm. like just typing. So I have something to tell you dot, 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 dot. And then being like, oh, okay. And me being like, dot, 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 dot. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I think I'm gay. Period. And then sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a rep- their uh, reply, just like, uh, and then being like, okay, cool. For uh, the most part, for the most part, they're like, okay, cool. Or, or at the time, it was a lot of, oh, really? I don't see you that way. Because <laughs> hmm. it, like, it was like mostly like to straight people, right? And ah, so um, I got very good at presenting, a, like I got very good at masking. Yeah. And so, um, these days, not so much. These days, it's such a huge compliment where people are like, oh, yeah, you're like gay, gay AF. I'm like, yes, thank mm-hmm. you. I am. I've worked really hard at like presenting mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in a way that like feels organic to me. Yeah. Um, that isn't, for me, a performance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it was on a like instant messenger for a while. And then after like messaging someone, if I saw them in school the next day, like, <laughs> we would have to talk about it uh, or I would feel compelled to talk about it. Uh, and so that the first like five or six were like online and then I got good enough feedback. Like I'm still alive. I'm still here. No one's hurt me. Mm. Let me start telling people in person. Yeah. And it was mostly just like telling people here and there when it came up in conversation, if queer identity came up, it would be like, you know, I am that right. That would usually be my go-to. Like when mm. people talked about gay people, I'd be like, you know, I am that, right? Mm. And they would be like, like full exorcist head spin, like you are. Mm. Great. Time for mm. you to figure out how you feel about me now that you know that. Uh-huh. Wow. And how did the majority of people in your world at that time respond when you would yeah. reply in that way? Yeah, I think um, coming out, because every every time it's like, if there are young people or people who are like new to the coming out process, it's constant. It is mm-hmm. never, and it's not like you come out once right. and ta-da, right. never again. Right. Like everyone knows I'm wearing a constant sign all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's this constant um, reminder that like, you're about to like learn who people, how people really feel about you. Mm-hmm. Like, at least part of you. Yeah. It's like a very quick, like, like a vibe check. It's very quick, like, just, like, drop it in the room. Like, hey, I'm into, like, I have a partner. Or, hey, I'm into, or hey, my pronoun, I use they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. And then, like, how they respond lets you know a lot about how they view the people at large. Mm-hmm. And they might love, I, my experience is most people, they will love and appreciate most parts of me, and there are some people who can't love and appreciate that part of me, but will still be in relationship with me. And then there are people who, because of that part of me, can't love and appreciate any of me. And it's, it is, it kind of just is what it is. Mm, Totally. And you mentioned something that really stood out to me that I also personally connect with. And I think it's true for a lot of folks of, you know, in early adolescence, when we start to either consciously or unconsciously start to discover our queerness, there can be this active shift into being so aware of our body, our mannerisms, how Mm. we're presenting in the world and really kind of being 
just in the state of conscious awareness around movement and sound and how you're speaking and, and presenting. And so much of our own work later is to look at what does it mean to unlearn that, to find who is like the authentic way of being underneath. And I'm curious about in your journey, kind of on the other side of coming out, coming more into yourself, what does that look like in addressing kind of these scripts of masking yourself and of Mm. perhaps of toxic masculinity or whatever those ways of being were that you were embodying? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, that's a good question. It has been like a a deep process. I find for me, like too, like I described earlier, like being neurodivergent, I'm also of Jewish background, but wasn't raised by my Jewish side of the family. Mm. And so I've done a lot of work of like recognizing that like a defense tactic of Jewish folk when they moved to the United States was also to like assimilate. Like there's like mm-hmm. a really strong assimilationism. Um, yeah. Same with my Italian, like um, my mom's family's Italian, my dad's family's Ukrainian mm. Jewish. Mm. And so they came here and were like, we're going to be as like American as possible, whatever mm. that meant to them. Right. Um, and so there is like in taking off one mask, a discovery that there's like, there's so many different yeah. ways to mask. Wow. Yes. At this point, I kind of see it as like, we use the language of masking as like something you can take on and off, mm. but I'm wondering if it's like kind of almost like, like how uh, gender is performance and like, like RuPaul says, like all, all clothing is drag is like, mm. we just kind of put on whichever version of, like we like I go in my closet and I pull out like the outfit of like my, my energetic outfit. That's like, this is like me in the gay bar. Like I'm going to like be a little, like I'm going to just like come a bit like different, you know, <laughs> um, I'm going to be a little bit more like, yes, like I'm going to like bring it a bit more. And then when I'm like surrounded by like the cis hetero men, I like might not bring that as much. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of how I navigate and show up is I often adapt. Like that's my survival strategy is I have yeah. to like adapt and pivot a bit. And some yeah. people like don't, don't do that. They just mm-hmm. are, I am who I am in every setting and you have to adjust and deal with it. Um, and so I think the, the friction comes in like when, when your identity and your survival strategy is not like, supported by the space you're in. And so if my survival strategy is to like adapt and like, that's not what's working in the space. Like people are like, like being like, why are you acting different? Mm. That's like a friction, right? Cause people mm. want me to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for people that are like one way all the time, they're often asked to adapt and to like mold themselves to fit the space. And neither way is mm. right or wrong, but the, mm. it's just that like that cultural pressure to fit into right that's like the queer experience is like we want you to be us Mm. be us Mm. uh oh you're not us we're gonna just ask you louder Mm. to be us oh you're not willing to be us now we're gonna like grab some pitchforks Mm. and we're gonna force you to be us you're not willing to do that and it just keeps escalating right rather than like at some point maybe realize there is no being you Mm. i could only we can only be us and you can only be you but that rationality doesn't seem to exist for many. Mm. Mm-hmm. I kind of answered your question and kind of veered. I don't know if oh, that answered. Love, oh, it answered like all the questions. I, okay. I like just want to hear you speak all day long. It's just, <laughs> it's so beautiful to receive and um, so helpful. Like I so appreciate the way you conceptualize this experience. I feel like in this, I'm learning so much, even in real time as we're having this conversation Mm -hmm. and like mental noting things for me to process more later. So I'm just (laughs) so appreciative. So thank you. And then, okay. I want to jump back also into your story to kind of follow your timeline. So you mentioned kind of your first coming out as gay in high school. I'm curious, like what happened in like the next chapter? Totally. And it's so funny. Like I, I'm so like, this is such like writer me of like, when I go into like, when I start telling my story, I like always go into like tangents. I'm going to attribute this to being like a Virgo sun Capricorn moon. Like I'm very (laughs) much like, I'm going to like, just like, like use like my story to like, to have like a teaching moment that like no one, no one asked me to go there, (laughs) but I'm naturally going to default. So like, let me like tell you something. I'm here Um, for it. um, very earth sign. Uh, yes. So people listening, prepare for more. Um, <laughs> so let me see if I can stay in my story. Uh, stay in your story mm-hmm. challenge. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, 
high school, end of high school. So I fell in love with my best friend who was a straight male. Mm. Um, and I fell in love with him so hard. He was like mm. my first, I had had like baby crushes and I also had like some, um, some woman crushes, which like, ri- I was like, I'm gay. Mm. And then it's like, wait, but now I like women. Mm. And then I had mm. like a mini existential, like, am I straight? Am I bi? Am I pan? Am I, what am I? Yeah. Um, and for many years I said I was gay with a twist. Uh, that's how mm. I framed it. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. like, I'm gay. And I like, yeah, sometimes I'm into women. Um, mm. And these days not, it's uh, so interesting with gender identity being like, Gayness doesn't exist if gender mm. doesn't exist. Mm. What? Uh, and so I tend to be attracted to male bodies, male adjacent people, people who identify within masculine energy, usually, not always. Mm-hmm. Um, love me a femme too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so in high school, was deeply in love with my best friend, deeply. Um, and given some of the trauma history that I've implied, uh, I did not, I was like anxious, avoidant attachment up the wazoo. Mm. I was obsessive. I was texting them constantly and they were like, you need to back off. And this Mm. is before I like told them that I was into them. Mm. They were like, you're like not giving me space. Like, I don't know what's going on with you. Uh, and then I told them and they were like, well, I don't want to be like an asshole to you. Um, but I can't like, I'm not, not into you that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was a rough period of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because it like brought up so much feeling and, um, yeah. so much stuff around relationship that mm-hmm. is still very challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in college, there's always that choice of like, once you're out and you move to a new space, like, do I go, do I out? again are we doing this are we doing this am Mm. i just starting college out is that what's happening or am i gonna like am i gonna have like a little coming out my junior year senior year after graduation uh and so i made it about a weekend and (laughs) someone turned to me and was like (laughs) i ended up living with this person for three years um (laughs) he turned to me and clearly had not he had like a couple gay friends in high school (laughs) but he just turned to me and was like are you gay like whispered it like 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 a secret like didn't want anyone like didn't want anyone hearing us like just like are you and I was like I am yes I am mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. they're like cool just wanted to check and I was like I don't know why you whispered it but <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> so weird mm-hmm. uh, this person is an interesting human um mm-hmm. and so um they ended up being one of my close friends through all of college and I was basically out all of college um mm. as like a gay at the time I identified as a gay man mm. um and, and how um, was that how was being out all of college for you it was pretty good i i didn't really meet that many other queer folk until the end of my college experience when I started veering into the performing arts. I went Mm -hmm. to college to study psych Mm -hmm. and was like, because I really just wanted to understand the insanity inside of my family Mm -hmm. Um, and inside of myself in many ways. And Mm -hmm. so for me, it was like, I have to work, I have to focus on figuring out my life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there wasn't really much like relating to queer people because I didn't, seek them out. And at the college I went to, it was the type of college where most queer folk were in the arts um, if they were out. And there were a few people who were out in my psych program, but not many. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was when I was in the arts that it was like, floodgates open, let's connect with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still didn't have like the sexual experiences in college, um, mostly from like a fear and like a lot of shame that I've come to realize is like intergenerational mm-hmm. um, family, an open family history of sexual trauma entered mm-hmm. like, like um, my dad is a sexual abuse survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, his siblings are. And so I had a lot of internalized stuff that I didn't yeah. realize I had because sure. my dad didn't do anything to me, but I inherited like mm-hmm. the, the fear in his body and yes. the fear in my mom's body, you know? Mm-hmm. And so in college I would have a feel a sense of attraction. And then this intense, like you're unsafe 
repulsion. And I thought it was purely from like queer shame. And then mm. I've dealt with a lot of the queer shame and yet there's still this stuff here that's mm. really like parental. And so I think there's this belief I've come across in people of like, because I'm open, that means I'm like having sex all the time. And that means that I'm like just this sexually liberated being. And it's like, no, we still live in America. America mm. is still a messed up place for sexuality. I'm not having sex that often. And when I am, I'm usually having like freakouts during mm. and after. <laughs> and I have to be like really mindful of who I partner with because like I know it's going to happen and I have to talk with them about it. Mm. Uh, and mm. not everyone's down for that. Some people mm. are, some people are like, that's a lot. And mm. that's fine. Um, and so after college, I didn't have my first, like, I didn't have my first kiss until I was 24. Mm. Um, <laughs> I didn't have, cause I was, um, what do they call it? A gold, gold star gaze where like, <laughs> you don't, you don't have any physical connection with, uh, the expected gender identity. Right. Uh, yeah. And so I didn't have any physical experiences until I was 24. And then once I did, I was like, oh, this is this is great. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, I love being queer. I love being able to explore with like other people in this way. Uh, because it for me, it's like when I see like I'm gonna like be like really gay with you right now. Like the straights. Mm-hmm. When the straights talk about <laughs> sorry, straight people who are listening, but I have mm-hmm. to call you who you are. When the straights, um, talk about like relationship it to me feels so narrow and rigid mm. and very like men are from mars women are from venus mm-hmm. even people my own age um and not some some are sexually liberated most of whom are poly but mm. my like marriage loving monogamous folk have a very specific view and i'm like you are in one aisle of the grocery store like mm. And when you're queer, it's like it's default. You have the whole grocery store. So like, I'm gonna like go over here and I'm gonna get some spinach because it's healthy. And then I'm gonna go to the snack aisle and then I'm gonna go and like, you know, I'm gonna mix peanut butter with sriracha. Cause like I saw someone do that once and yes. it sounds disgusting, but let's try it. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, uh-huh. like that to me is like what queer, like relating can be like it's messy Uh, it's a full shopping cart it's uh, expensive hmm. uh but it's so worth it (laughs) i love this metaphor oh my gosh yes totally totally whoa okay wait so like walk me back to like first entering the grocery store like those first experiences like so for so many of us like who have our first sexual experiences with our desired gender later in life perhaps it can be like equal parts exhilaration then like also fear and shame like and I hear I hear that in your story just curious yeah what was that like for you yeah um my first time was really interesting because I had a really good friend at the time who their best friend so my friend's friend and I met at a party and we were kind of like flirting but we both were like at stages in our queer development where we're like, we didn't know how to like, there's that like coy game of like, like we've learned so I've learned for so many years, like mask that it's now like, I have to like ask you out. Mm-hmm. Like I have to like, I have to initiate with you when I've been like hiding in fear. And it's like that, like fear of harm shows up when I'm like with someone new who I'm attracted to of like, Like the fear of rejection is like escalated to like the nth degree of like, if you reject me, like, it's not just like a rejection of like, like on the scale of like, yeah, like you're not into me. It's also like, you are not into me as a queer being, which means that I am wrong. It like can spiral and escalate into like the hall of shame, right? Like you can like live in the hall of shame forever. Um, I, I call it the hall of shame because it's a place I like to go to and stay in for a really long time and just like not leave. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. and so I can like uh-huh. go into the hall of shame when I'm like attracted to someone cause I'm afraid mm-hmm. of them rejecting me. Yeah. And so we were like kind of flirting really, really coy, spent the whole night talking to each other and neither one of us gave a clear indicator of like, let's do something. And so my friend, um, I'll just call her B for the sake of this story because I don't want to name names. Um, mm-hmm. But B invited me to, we'll call him uh, Dave. B invited me to Dave's place 
um, to stay over for the weekend because it's a thing they would do. Um, and this was when I was still living in Westchester. Dave lived in New York, in the city in Queens. Mm. And so we went to Dave's place and we like hung out and they all like pre-games because we were going to go to the gay bars in Hell's Kitchen. And I don't drink, but I was like down for the, down for the party. Mm. Uh, and so we leave to go to the bar and Dave comes up to me and grabs my hand and holds my hand. Uh, and I'm like, I've never had my hand held before. Mm. What? And then we're just like sitting on the subway, holding hands. And then we're like walking to the bar, holding hands. Mm. And then um, I can't remember which bar it was. There's this bar that I think its name's changed, but it's a two-story bar. Uh, and we stood in the middle of the staircase for four hours making out. Like people had to like crawl over uh, us, around us. Like uh, we're like, we're like, we're making out. And mm. I'm like... I'm like ready for more than just making out, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I don't know how sexually explicit I feel like getting in this moment because mm -hmm. I can go there. Mm -hmm. But um, I really wanted to like take him and leave the bar and go back to his place and ditch the friends who were staying over. Right. Uh, but that did not happen. Uh, mm. We instead, um, <laughs> I instead got the most intense case of blue balls in the history of the planet mm -hmm. and was mm -hmm. like didn't know what it was and like told everyone because I didn't know what it was and they're mm -hmm. like babe we know what's happening like <laughs> you want to fuck him and that's fine we'll go back so you can do that mm -hmm. um and we went back and um we kind of me and Dave just kind of made out for a bit because they mm -hmm. were really intoxicated so we tried stuff but it wasn't mm -hmm. it wasn't the right vibe mm -hmm. um because they were they were also really uncomfortable with like it wasn't until they started drinking a ton that they felt safe yeah. to mm -hmm. show any physical affection towards me. Mm. Um, and so that's like the rest of that. There's like a whole rest of that story. That's like not where I want to go in this moment, yeah, but totally. uh, yeah. So that was like my first experience and I fell in love with him immediately. And mm. then three weeks later we were, we were, we were done and as often happened like that is the second adolescence right like this was my middle school yes. like we're boyfriend girlfriend but yes. it's like we're boyfriends and then a week later it's like no we're not yes. <laughs> we just we just like we're into each other that one night great mm. um mm -hmm. yeah and so that was that was that that was probably the, yeah that was the night of my first time wow uh-huh yeah. Uh, yeah i mean that that totally we all have those first experiences that do feel like this adolescent relationship experience that we never got that we have in our 20s 30s 40s whenever that is so I can just like my heart is just I can feel that experience because I've had that, that own experience mm -hmm. on my end too and oh it's like messy and liberating and scary and confusing and all of it and yeah mm -hmm. so I'm curious like you were talking about second adolescence and I really hear that as part of it and I'm curious like what else like when you think about this idea of second adolescence and your story You've, I've heard, I have heard so much about healing and about kind of growing through these experiences you didn't yeah. get to have, and which is all part of the second adolescence experience. What else comes to mind for you in your story about yeah. Yeah, what happened next in your own second adolescence? Yeah, yeah. Um, for me, like I talked earlier about like kind of like like the, the stuff relating to sex and the sexual, like intergenerational sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, it's been like really for a number of years. And I would say even up until like four days ago, uh, even probably later today, um, mm -hmm. like I'm still in it. Like yeah. second adolescence is still ongoing. Um, totally. Totally. I am, we're all works in progress. Yes. So for me, uh, a real challenge is like, feeling as though like a huge part of like queer identity is like gender, how we present gender wise, how we feel gender wise, mm -hmm. how we show up sexually, who we're attracted to. And for me, like for many years, sex, I have such a complicated relationship with it on top of like, like, like when I, when I talk to queer men, especially, I often feel so outside of relating to queer men. Cause it's like, I know gay men that like, they talk like straight men and like how they have mm -hmm. sex. It's like, I had, I had this many partners this week. I had this many partners the week before. Mm -hmm. And I'm over here. Like, I need to like spend like seven days with you before I feel safe. Yeah. And I often feel an otherness that... Mm -hmm. Um, as I'm like engaging in second adolescence, I'm realizing like everyone has their way of navigating and it's like, 
I don't need to have shame for being slightly different than other people, right? Um, but the the beginning of that process was like, ah, I'm a defective gay because I, I can't oh. have sex. Mm. Like, I'm a defective gay because I freak out whenever, like, I get really obsessive whenever, like, something awkward happens during sex. Uh, mm. Ba-ba-da-ba-ba-ba, mm. you know? And mm. now it's kind of like I've gotten to a point of, okay, I know this is going to happen. I know the types of people I partner with aren't necessarily the best at being in communication around this stuff. I, I'd love, I like my, my biggest turn on is emotional unavailability. It's very hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like how I joke. Um, and I'm working on that. Like, I'm like, I'm like speaking into existence. Like, no, I, what's really hot is someone who like, will have like will make like a, a before care and after care plan like that's mm. who's hot to me as mm. someone who like on a first date is like what's your aftercare plan that's like mm. really hot to me mm. um and so yeah so second adolescence is like a lot of like there's nothing wrong with me oh there's there's another thing that i think there's something wrong with me oh wait there's nothing wrong with me yeah. and it's it's not that i'm sick it's that i'm a fish swimming in toxic waters Mm. I am like the ocean is polluted. We keep throwing plastics in it. And as a fish, I'm like, why can't I breathe? What's wrong with me? Do I have defective lungs? Do I need an asthma inhaler? It's like, no, the water is disgusting. Like that's the world we grew up in. Mm. Um, And so for me and my sexual identity, it's really recognizing like I'm a product, like this is, this is related to environment. This is related to environment. This is related to environment. It's related to culture. It's related to the systems that are at play of like internalized, like, cause I have like a white body, I have a male body. So it's like internalized white supremacy, internalized mm-hmm. patriarchy. These are all things I have to like figure out how to filter through my body and like purge. And that's like a lifelong, a lifelong second adolescent. That's like, I'm going to be a teenager until the day I die, which is great. Uh, mm-hmm. Cause there, a little part of you has to stay young, I think. Even if we are also ageist. I'm, I'm working through, like, ageism myself of, like, mm. fearing getting older. Mm. And it's like, no, I get to both be, like, the wise elder and, like, the childish mm. kid in the same body at the same time. Mm. I get to have all of it. I get to be all of it. And then we were talking before this interview started. I mentioned how, like, I'm going through my third, fourth, fifth adolescence because my gender awakening of identifying as gender expansive, non-binary, which is, like, very new and very fresh. Um, so I can't really speak that much on, like, like I'm still too in it to maybe even, like, articulate it. Mm. But, yeah, it's just been, like, a real, like, entering the matrix or leaving the matrix moment of, like, realizing that so much of what I was taught was not meant for me to learn. So many lessons that I've received were not meant for me. They were meant for the boy who's always going to be a boy and is never going to question being a boy and is always going to love women. Like Mm. all the lessons I was given were meant for that person. And Mm. it's like, where are the lessons for me? And so now Mm. it's really intentionally like being in space with people who are like in the journey and are figuring it out because there's no blueprint. And so we get to build the blueprint together. Wow. Oh, what I was taught was not meant for me to learn. Ooh. Yeah, that's it. And then, yeah, as you're speaking to, no, yeah, we have to unlearn what we've been taught and then create space both internally and also surrounding ourselves in community to really, Mm -hmm. to learn what's most true for us Mm -hmm. and have that be valid and to have, that be free of the shame that these other lessons that we just like soaked up as kids brought with it. Oh, I'm like buzzing from this conversation. (laughs) This is uh, just really powerful. And I feel like I need a journal after this. I'm so appreciative of this. So this is fantastic. Um, And I get, and yeah, you were alluding to kind of this more recent chapter of getting more Mm. clarity on your gender identity and how you're still in it. I'm curious if you could just speak to a little bit of, I mean, and coming out is continuous, of course, but like, what was like that beginning of getting clear for your own self and then also perhaps letting other people into that experience? Yeah, I find um, for me, it's, 
Uh, as you can tell, I love metaphors. Um, so I'll probably, I'll probably drop a few more. Great. Because uh, it's like just how my brain works. I'm having this like image of like the roots of like a tree. Like when a plant is growing, you don't see the tree burst through the ground for quite some time, but it's like, it's like laying the foundation mm. beneath the surface, you know, like, so like the seed of my gender awakening, like the roots were spreading and growing before like anything appeared on the surface, probably for a number of years. There was like always this question, I felt safest in presence of femme and in femme spaces. And there was always part of me that felt unable to access femme in the way I wanted to because I was man. And mm -hmm. I felt that to be man, I didn't necessarily believe that like man, like it meant anything. Like the label, like the label man is just man and people attribute what they do to it because I, I believe that gender is social construct. Mm -hmm. And so inside of the boundaries of social construction, it was like, there's something not right here. There's something mm -hmm. off and it's like, what is it? And I kept like trying to like make sense and like how I navigated space and how I felt in relationship to gay men. And I didn't have many transgender non-conforming folks in my life in my mid 20, in my like when I was 24, 25. Mm -hmm. So it was like around like cis queer people, I feel still like there's something missing. And so during the pandemic, cause we all had time that we got to use however we wanted. And so a lot of that for me has been like inner work, internal, mm -hmm. internal, internal work, mm -hmm. um, like deep, deep down, like, like, like Alice in Wonderland level rabbit holes, um, mm -hmm. like to the point where like, I'm with the caterpillar and like the caterpillar's like, who are you? And I'm like, I have no idea. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm in the middle of my Saturn return right now. And like, that's like a period that is like all about like kind of things being ripped away and pulled away to expose like what you like you could have learned in the past 30 years and it's like I've been completely ripped away and there is nothing here I'm I'm so deep in my Saturn return that I don't even know my gender identity anymore mm -hmm. I don't know what's happening mm -hmm. uh, and it was just like it just all of a sudden woke up which is like where am I confusion like no sense of understanding um, in my entire, everything, everything made no sense. Um, I would eat food and be like, why am I eating this? I would go to the bathroom and be like, why am I going to the bathroom this way? Um, and part of it was I was writing a, a screenplay about someone who's non-binary. And when I started writing the character, I was like, why? I'm not, I'm, I'm not non-binary. Why am I writing for someone outside my lived experience? It, it just felt like it was like just happening in a way that, I was like, what it, why, why, why is this character, like, trying to make sense of, I've never written a non-binary character before. Mm. All of a sudden, like, so vividly clear, this character is non-binary. And as I was working on the scripts, I worked on it for, like, four or five months. It was, like, I did so much work around, like, like on my own of, like, really having to sit with, like, this character's gender identity because it was really me doing the work for myself through a character mm. and figuring out, like, wait. I'm writing this character to make sense of gender because I'm trying to make sense of gender. Mm. Oh, shit. And then that's when like the floodgates opened and I like woke up and I was like Googling, what, uh, how do I know I'm gender nonconforming? And the first thing that comes up is if you're asking this question, you probably have a good sign. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like you wouldn't be asking if you probably. Uh, and so after about like, two weeks I was like all right I've I've done this with being gay like I, I've this is like I've been on this horse I've been to this rodeo I know what's happening uh let's just try it out and see how it feels mm -hmm. and if it doesn't feel right great you're cis amazing incredible uh glad we tried um and so I tried it out and I was like a he they for like a few weeks and then it was like oh mm -mm. he doesn't work he he is just me hiding mm -hmm. um and not like to diminish other people who's like like pronoun no, everyone's sure. pronouns right like i want yep. i want to name like your pronoun your pronouns don't have anything to do with your gender identity and your gender expression they are how you want to be referred to mm -hmm. so for me it's like he evokes a feeling that is off but they my body doesn't get triggered my body doesn't respond my body's like okay yep uh-huh cool they and so 
I shifted entirely to they, them. And now it's like, oh God, how do I contend with like, people could get the gay thing, but they can't get the gender non-conforming thing. Mm. It's just being with that is like where I'm at in the challenge of like, how much do I want to advocate for myself in any particular moment in any space? And it's like, who this feels like coming out on overdrive. This feels like 15 year old me on overdrive. Like, mm. who it's been a while since I've been here, mm. but I'm like feeling grateful to, to be in this question mm. because it really allows me to like be in space with my fellow queer people in a way that's like far more powerful than I used to be. I'm really like be in relationship in a deeper way across a much like, like talk about grocery store. Now I'm in like the mall. Like now mm. I'm like, Oh wait, I can leave the grocery store and go into home Depot or I could go into the video game store or I could go into the clothing store. Like, mm. and then like, there might be another level that's like, I leave the mall and like, I'm just on earth and like anything, you know, like it just like is con- a continuous, like, I don't know. I, and I love how I'm using like a metaphor that's like so like like Americana, like the mall, <laughs> this, the mall, mm-hmm. the, the, the monolith of capitalism. Right. Um, but the mm-hmm. sub equivalent of like yes. coming out of the cave or Plato's Republic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the metaphor. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's it's really powerful and it provides just such a good framework. And then that plus I keep going back to when you the phrase of a fish swimming in toxic water. And mm. I feel like I hear even that with your experience with gender and in this phase of kind of navigating spaces and having people know your full self and dealing with other people's either ignorance or what have you of the toxic waters that still exist. And But I hear you kind of creating both space and community, but also internally recognizing, yeah, like there's nothing wrong with the fish. I'm swimming. I'm doing my right. thing. It's this right. external stuff that that is designed to get in my way. And I see you kind of swimming past that. And I'm just like blown away. I'm, I'm sure we haven't gotten into all of it. And I know I have to let you go in just a little bit, but like, it sounds like so much healing work has happened in your story. And, yeah. and that's so much of like what it is to be a queer person. It is like this constant healing, right? Because of that that toxic water that we're all swimming in. And yeah. I just feel really appreciative that you are opening up your story to people to get to kind of, experience because there's so much healing that happens from listening to other people who've done it mm-hmm. and both kind of who have illustrated where we want to be where we've gone and it's just really uh i feel really touched that you mm. have shared your story and i feel so selfishly honored even if i don't share this with anybody which i'm gonna yeah just like i got to experience that and so i just want you to know like what a gift it feels like on my end thank you and yeah, on the note of your story, was there anything else that wanted to be a part of this conversation that hasn't joined so far? Hmm. I love that question. I feel like um, what what comes to mind is just like there there's a reason why like queer queer folk like dance like culture like bar scene club dance culture is so like important in my experience to the queer like queerness and like those spaces and I know historically it's because those were like the spaces where we were safest and I think there's also something about like the way we live out like the fantasy the way I live out like the fantasy of like my healing and acceptance and for me it's like if I can move my body the way I want to move my body that's like for me and like that's kind of able-bodied isms but if I can be in my body or occur in my body in a way that I feel safe and occur in my body in a way that I feel is me. If I'm clear as like, this is me, I feel like so good. Mm-hmm. And so for me, a huge part of my journey is like being okay with the times where it's not good because I there, there's such a desire for comfort and there's such a desire for like, I, like again, like the lessons I learned were not mine. Like I was taught to expect that the world would treat me a certain way, expect certain things from like being like the the privilege of being a male, the privilege of being white, the privilege of like my dad's family's class background is different than my mom's, even if I didn't grow up with them, like able-bodied privilege, growing up in New York, like some speaking English, mm-hmm. being a citizen of the United States, like all of these aspects of identity I was taught meant that my body would occur in space in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And so because my body doesn't occur in space always in that way, um, a huge important thing for me is like learning to be okay 
with like the discomfort and the shame and the grief and and like really like lean into it and really like spend time with it like i've been going through like i'm like coming out of like a six week long like heavy depression mm. and i like couldn't figure out what it was about and i couldn't figure out what was going on and it was like when i finally just like laid with it and like let it speak it like didn't have to stay in me and so mm. For me, like, this has been, and like, when I saw, and like, I was in the middle of like my shame spiral, and Instagram was like, recommended second adolescence podcast. And I'm like, what is this? And then I saw it, and I was like, this is literally what I'm dealing with right now, Instagram. How do you, the algorithm knows me so well. Um, Like, because I have, I don't think you and I have like any shared connection or any like background. Like, I don't, like, I, this is my first time speaking with you. I've never met you before. Right. Um, and so for me, it's like, oh my God, a space where I could just come on and if I want it for an hour, talk about my shame and my trauma and then just like leave it. Amazing. Ha <sighs> ha. Like, wow. yes, let's do it. And so for wow. me, it's like really like the more I resist, the harder it is mm. in my experience of like when I really am like, I hate my identity. I don't want this identity. Well, Brandon, too bad. You, this is your identity. Let's just like, let it be. And like, let your hate, like your hate has its space. Mm. Like that's not going to just magically, you're not going to magically go from like, I'm afraid of being gay or I'm afraid of what it means to have a gender non-conforming identity given like what's happening in Florida Mm. um, and the rest of the world. And, like, to go from that to immediately the next day being, like, I love my identity. I love everything about me. Like, no, there are days when queer people are, like, tired of being queer. Mm-hmm. Like, it's real. And mm-hmm. so in those days when I'm tired, like, I try as best I can to allow myself to rest. And if I can't allow myself to rest or if, like, systems at B won't allow me to rest, then I'm, like, okay, mm-hmm. this is where I am. Mm-hmm. And that comes from, like, really listening to, like, I'm thinking of Nat Ministry. I'm thinking of Sonia Renee Taylor. I'm thinking of Adrian Marie Brown. Mm. Um, I'm thinking of my friend Alex Simon Fox. I'm thinking of like people who have been living it for a Mm. while. And so when I'm in doubt, I go look for the people who've been living it and listen, you know, I think that's, yeah, I think that's. Mm. When it strikes me that you are becoming or you are one of those people for folks too. Like I am so excited to continue following and learning mm. from you. And this conversation feels like just the beginning for me as like, a yeah. someone who's engaging with your words and your yeah. presence. And I'm tripping out about how you <laughs> we got connected. I didn't know that. That's that yeah. is so of course. And it's it just feels very there's another entity that's connected us, which is yeah. quite cool. And Kismet for sure. Yeah. Wow. Ah. Uh, Okay, well, I know I, I wanted to hang out with you all day, but I got to let you go, unfortunately. But if folks wanted to follow up with you, follow you, your work, kind of continue yeah. to be in touch, what's a good place to direct them? Totally. Um, I've been working on my website for like 9,000 years and it's still <laughs> not up. <laughs> uh-huh. So uh, right now, the best place is on Instagram. I can give that to you so it'll be in the show notes, but uh, it's Brando, the original. Um, I'm quite a mess on Instagram. I'm, I, I, I try to be as like free spirited and like yes. fully, fully like not like, like this, like, like this, like whatever wisdom might be gleaned from this on Instagram. I am like, I am that. And then I'm also like, I'm going to post ridiculous memes and like my, my stories have lately been just me like ranting about playlists I've been making for no reason. Yes, and it's like, yes. I'm just going to be fully me and like totally. six people, six people are going to be into it and everyone else is going to be like, <laughs> why do I follow you again? No, it's and, all connected. It is you know, all connected. You know, it's all connected. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. um, if you want to hear about experiences of me uh, wishing I could afford a $20 pair of pants that have horses covering them and instead I just make a playlist of grief about it uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's also on my Instagram um, Awesome. That, that is my latest stories that I've been doing because um, mm-hmm. I'm at my core like a, a weirdo artist that mm-hmm. just happens to sometimes say metaphors that resonate with people and I have no idea what I'm doing but no, no one does so no it's great does. so yep. uh, uh, if you'd like to not know what we're doing together you can follow me at Brando the original on Instagram 
that's like the only place right now. Facebook cool. is not really a place I'm on anymore. So mm-hmm. cool. And TikTok, girl, I'm I'm like I can't do it. TikTok, <laughs> it's a whole other animal. I haven't stepped in there. I know. I know. Mm mm. Ah, well, gosh, Brandon. Again, I mean, I feel like I've like thrown all my cards on the table of how much I've appreciated this conversation. I'm gonna leave them there because I have. And thank you. This has been such a treat, and I look forward to staying in touch as we go from here. Yeah. Cool. And thank you for this space. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care. Mm.